Hi, this is Janet for Cheap Astronomy, www.cheapastro.com. This is SISS, Science on the ISS, and today's episode is Organs on a Chip. Keen observers of the scientific endeavours on the ISS sometimes wonder if some ISS science projects just involve sending up the latest big thing in science, without any clear reason as to why being in space might make it a better experiment. But hey, this is science. Not knowing why is often a good reason to do something. Anyway, organs on a chip are one of those big things in science at the moment, and yes, there are plans afoot to put some up in space. After all, organs on a chip could become a disruptive, world-changing technology. Although the list of potentially disruptive and world-changing technologies is a pretty long list these days. It's often hard to know which ones are really going to be world-changing until the world actually changes. Since we are yet to send organs on chips up to the ISS, this episode is mainly about how things like organs on chips eventually get up there. A story that is not so much about rockets, payloads and docking procedures, but about grant applications, knowing who to know, and a certain amount of luck. But... Just what exactly are organs on a chip? An organ on a chip mimics the functional unit of a human body organ and is created by culturing a few of that organ's specialised cells on a geometrically organised scaffold, which is about the size of a microscope slide. A kidney on a chip involves organising some nephron cells into a geometric structure that can concentrate urine. A liver on a chip involves organising some kupfer cells into a structure that can detoxify blood serum. There's even a lung on a chip that can mimic the function of alveoli, the gas exchange units in your lung. The chips, on which these scale model organs are grown, are made of PDMS, that is polydimethylsiloxane, a transparent, flexible and biologically friendly plastic, the same stuff that contact lenses are made of. Cells can be both cultured and organised into 3D structures on a PDMS scaffold, and onto that scaffold can be added sensors, fluid flow gates, and even tiny pumps. Lungs on a chip include little mechanically expandable channels that can mimic the stretching and relaxing of alveoli inside a real breathing lung. This is a good example of a biological microelectromechanical system, a biomems which represents the synthesis of artificial and biological structures within an integrated system, which isn't exactly alive, even though bits of it are. But despite all the clever infrastructure and microengineering, it is the alive bits of an organ on a chip that do all the important work. The organ functions being replicated on these chips depend on living cell membranes. Most key bodily functions like urine concentration, blood detoxification, and gas exchange are mediated by cell membranes, which are constantly working to filter or extract or concentrate things. So it is the membranes of the cells cultured on the chips that define most of the separated compartments, and it's the membranes that do most of the important work of the chip. For the most part, All the PDMS infrastructure and microengineering that are built into organs on a chip are just there to support and to monitor those cell membrane functions. 
Organs on a chip can test how well drugs work and assess how dangerous different toxins are. They can also monitor cellular resilience to infection and compare the effect of various antibiotics. It is hoped that organs on a chip may eventually put an end to all scientific testing on animals, which would be a good thing for the animals and a good thing for science too, since most of the animal testing we do now is to determine the effect of the drugs and the toxins and the antibiotics on humans. Animals will often react in a very similar way to how humans would when exposed to different drugs, toxins, or antibiotics, but similar is never quite the same. If we keep developing organs on a chip into more sophisticated analogues of human organs, and then maybe join some of them together to form a virtual body on a chip, then we really might be able to set all the lab rats free. Perhaps the best thing about growing a scale model of an organ on a chip is that you get a functional unit that is reproducible on a large scale. Imagine if you tried to publish a paper telling people how you'd put a few cells on a chip, added solution X, and then saw effect Y happen. Everyone is just going to say, hmm. But if you said you put a few cells on a hundred chips, and they all showed effect Y when solution X was added, then everyone is going to say, ah. Reproducibility is the hallmark of good science. What benefit we might gain from putting organs on a chip in space remains to be fully explored. In microgravity, it might be possible to construct more elaborate 3D tissue structures that would otherwise collapse under their own weight back on Earth. Perhaps this will help us create things like a brain on a chip. And yes, we did say brain on a chip. It'll probably just be a few neurons arranged to mimic a tiny neural network, along with a few firing synapses. No one is expecting it will achieve self-awareness. At least, not straight away. Apart from that, we'll be able to do the usual business of investigating how microgravity affects biological tissues. And we'll be able to investigate that down to the cellular level. So, on the ISS, we might start seeing muscles on a chip, bones on a chip, and even cartilage on a chip. At this stage, the only limit is our imagination. How organs on a chip will eventually get launched to the ISS is an easier story to tell. First, you need to understand who CASIS are. CASIS, the Center for the Advancement of Science in Space, was chosen by NASA in 2011 to maximize use of the station through accelerating innovations and new discoveries. CASAs have put out a call for proposals for organs on a chip projects. Submitted proposals will presumably be assessed on their potential to advance our current scientific know-how, on their potential to deliver an outcome of relevance to healthcare, and to deliver a return on the investment needed to put them up into space. And that last bit is important. CASAs will be looking for proposals with an understanding of how your proposed project is going to work in space. That means explaining where it is going to be placed on the ISS, how it will connect with the ISS power supply, and how it will interface with ISS data systems. However, you could make it a whole lot easier for both you and the proposal assessors by just informing them 
that your organs on a chip experiment is compatible with nanoracks. Nanoracks provide payload integration solutions. That is, you tell them what you want to put up there, and they'll make sure it fits in the right place, plugs into the right sockets, and sends you back the data you want in the format you want. Needless to say, nanoracks can get your experiment housed in a very small rack inside a crude module of the ISS. Or you can arrange for your experiment to be mounted on an external platform of the ISS, exposing it to the cold vacuum of space. The nanoracks people can even turn your experiment into a small sat. That is, a small satellite. Which means it will be strategically deployed. In other words, it will be dropped out of the back of the ISS. It's not likely that we'll be seeing organs on a chip dropped out of the back of the ISS or see them exposed to the cold vacuum of space. But nanoracks will make sure that any organ on a chip experiment fully conforms with ISS operational requirements so that those experiments can do their thing, whatever their particular thing may be. Nanorex is a genuine space business and pulls a decent profit, only a quarter of which has come from NASA in recent years. The money doesn't come directly from scientists, since scientists don't usually fund their own research projects. Instead, scientists, and science in general, depend on venture capital, which might come in the form of a government grant, or it might come in the form of private investment. A good example of the latter is the Space Angels Network where angel investment is a term to describe what people traditionally known as rich benefactors do in the modern business world. Space angel investors want to take a gamble on space experiments, which may or may not end up changing the world, but might at least return a few bucks to their investors. After all, the money has to come from somewhere, and good science does often generate good profit. Thanks for listening. This is Janet for Cheap Astronomy, www.cheapastro.com. Cheap Astronomy offers an educational website where we help you get to the guts of the matter.